0: And we are live. This is Daniel Burnett with trainlikearanger.com. Today I have a very special guest, soon to be Dr. Blake McGee. Uh, welcome, Blake. Thanks
1: for coming on. What's up, brother? Thanks for having me, man.
0: Tell us about yourself, who, who you are, and, uh, and about your company.
1: Well, it's not my company. I work for them. Um, but it's a uh, 22 kills. So we uh, provide counseling services for veterans, first responders and their families. We also have an side of the house too, to do the non-traditional type therapy as well. Um, we try to serve this population in a very diverse way because everybody's interest base is a little bit different. So we try to accommodate that and get them in the door. Um, and we do a lot of research. We do a lot of, you know, publications. We're trying to get out there to educate the kind of world on kind of that we deal with every day so uh that's a little bit about what we do we're in fort worth uh and in dallas right now currently we're going to be expanding uh hopefully all over the nation and stuff like and of reach that population that's hard to reach so that's kind of what we do so for me um, i'm also a mental health uh clinician i provide traditional type counseling services for them but also i'm in the program director for our forge program which is a non-traditional program that we have and offer for hiking, camping, fishing, even do helicopter hog hunts every once in a while, do some cool stuff like that. Uh, We we incorporate a lot of different types of therapy, but also like music, food, um, anything and everything that we can really kind of reach them and give them a healthy platform to have a good experience to be open-minded to actually get some mental health counseling services in the future is definitely the bottom line. Uh, Mental health uh, services actually stop suicidal rates from increasing so that's something we really want to start pushing but um yeah it, it's been a crazy crazy road but man i'm very thankful for it so
0: that's amazing and and a little bit about uh you know we were talking earlier before this podcast you were a, a marine Corps vet during a very busy time um <laughs> okay. and talk talk about what what got you into counseling in the first place.
1: Okay. So in the Marine Corps, we had a very fast tempo, Um, getting deployed several times in four years. Most people struggle with that type of tempo, Um, especially if they have family and friends, things like that. I was no different. If I needed some direction, I played soccer. That was my first love, played sports. And then when 9-11 happened, just like many of us, you know, out there probably going to listen to this, like, sign me up, coach. I felt like I wanted to serve people who couldn't fight for themselves. You know, like I I didn't really act appropriately growing up. It took me a long time to really mature, and uh, the Marine Corps kind of helped me out with that. Um, so in 2003 is actually when I went to boot camp in July, um, and it was all downhill from there. <laughs> so it was a, it was a great awesome experience. Um, that was like kind of before YouTube. Didn't really know what to expect. I was here to do my thing um, and really try to make an impact the best way I could. And I felt the Marine Corps would be the best place for me. I was very competitive growing up. Um, But my behavioral kind of changes from as a kid to growing up, It honestly, looking back at it now, there was no other branch of service that was even an option. Um, So playing soccer, losing my grandfather in a hunting accident when I was nine. So guns were not like, firearms were not like good in the home. Like I didn't have a whole lot of hunting and fishing experience, you know, after that, like I would have liked, um, until I got back in the Marine Corps. And of course, you're carrying this wherever you go. Went through, uh, all the training, all the schools got, uh, to the FMF and really kind of started getting settled in, uh, the Las Pulgas area, which is in Camp Pendleton, California, uh, with 2nd Battalion, 11th Marines, 1st Marine Division. So, we were really kind of just getting there, you know, everybody's like, oh, I don't know what to expect. You know, it's not training and all this other stuff. And then you hear the term boot and we didn't even know what that meant. And so we were just trying to make sure we didn't get seen. We didn't mess up anything because it was free game at that point. So anyway, we were trying to get settled uh, in and started doing workups on deployments and um, we hit the ground running in 2004 where we went to, uh, Fallujah and stuff like that. We were based out of Ramadi, but Fallujah kicked off that November and stuff like that. Um, you know, I was with Kilo 312 and I mean, these guys were very, very much in depth with weapons handling, vehicle recovery, everything. You know, I felt really confident with going with these guys. They were, had a lot of leadership. They had a lot of the older Marines, you know, that had the tri-color camis and stuff. So there was a lot of experience there that we, as new Marines, could really latch on to, regardless how many working parties you went on or whatever. Um, it, it was fruitful, I felt like. So uh, going out there, uh, coming back, and then doing another workup went with Echo uh, 211 and stuff like that to uh, the same base, Aramati. So that area of operation was nothing new to me, but it was, it was a different deployment. Um, you know, a lot of IED technology and uh, tactics had changed from the enemy. So we had to adapt and adjust to all the, all the dumb ones were dead. (laughs) So (laughs) you got to think about it. Like they were very creative with how they approached uh, our tactics and regiments. So I started really thinking back on my upbringing on how I could be really relatable to what's actually going on. So that development piece was something that I really wouldn't have got other than going to the Marine Corps, you know, like learning that uh, leadership and that side of the world and seeing real life shit happen. And you're like, okay, this is not Tyler, Texas. This is not, Uh, this shit is real. So uh, not real sure what to do with that, but there's a lot of other Marines and people, you know, that were kind of dealing with the same stuff. Like this is new stuff, but let's get it. This is what we signed that same blank check for. Um, you know, we were really excited to do it. So, um, getting out and the high tempo and seeing things happen and, you know, just being away from home. I mean, you change as a person. I mean, you evolve to your environment and I didn't know what that meant. So just like when I would lie all the time about dumb shit, I was really just trying to fit in and adjust to my environment the same way that I was doing in the military. So a lot of people forget the fact that you already fucked up before you went to the military. You just brought it with you. So you're not only dealing with that, but you're also dealing with shit that goes down, um, throughout your military career. And then now you're going back to civilian life. It's, it's a hard transition for a lot of people. Um, so helping people in need has always been something that I really, really just wanted to dive in wholeheartedly just because I saw the self gratification of, you know, what my mom and grandfather and grandmother and just my whole family, um, essentially. And I just wanted to be a part of that. And I was like, where do I fit in? So that transition to getting out, I knew I needed an education to go anywhere. um, And I was just burnt out. Like I was tired of getting deployed. I obviously didn't say or do the right things and probably pissed a lot of motherfuckers off. So I was ready for a change. So I went ahead and uh, made that adjustment, came back to East Texas, tried to get my grades up to go to a college that I could really pursue that. And, of course, in high school, what are you trying to do? (laughs) Just do bare minimum (laughs) to get eligibility to play sports. So that was all I cared about. So my GPA was not where it needed to be. So I went ahead to Tyler Junior College and got my, you know, associate's degree just to really bump up those numbers. But um, in 2003, right right before I went to boot camp, my sister graduated Texas A&M. So I was like, okay, this is a cult thing. Um, uh, they're weird and all this other stuff. Cause everybody talks shit about her. I was like, okay, awesome. So now I have a support system cause I always want to talk shit about her. Cause she beat my ass my whole life. So, <laughs> um, not bitter about it. Still going to counseling for it, working through it. Um, but anyway, so, <laughs> yeah. <right>. so <clears throat> my sister went she graduated, uh, in education. So I went there and that graduating ceremony, I saw, Marine uniforms, uh, Navy, all branches of service, because it was an ROTC senior institution. It was an all male military institution uh, back in the day. I mean, it it has a lot of history uh, serving this country and I wanted to be a part of that. And seeing that graduation, I knew eventually I was going there. So when I got to TJC, started doing my thing, I was graduating and it was time to apply, you know, Everybody's at. where are you going? Where do you think about doing? And I was like, going to AM. and they were like, we are not going to apply any anywhere else? Like, not one place? And I was like, absolutely not. I'm fucking going here. So I went ahead and got, uh, I think it was 66 hours or something like that, and I applied and didn't get in for whatever reason. I think I had too many for the degree plan that I originally wanted to go into, you know, so um, fucking pissed. However, I called them. I don't know if this is the Marine in me or me just being hard headed. I called them 111 days straight uh, to get into Texas A&M. They found me a degree that was starting up that I had extreme interest in and that I was qualified for. And it was forensic investigative sciences. So he, he was like kind of telling me about it and laughing the whole time and let me in on the, you know, you should probably look into this. You should probably uh, apply to this, you know, like giving me that that hint trying to hook it up, but I eventually got in, got my degree in leadership and development, and I just kept moving. Uh, but that was a healthy transition for me that I didn't get in Tyler because there wasn't that military, I guess, atmosphere in a sense. So being a part of the Corps of Cadets, which is a huge, huge deal at Texas A&M. Oh, yeah, that's big. And I was uh, the exO for Delta Company and stuff like that, which is all military veteran uh, outfit. And that's where we were utilized finally, you know, to help with cadre, staff, faculty, to orchestrate, you know, training evolutions and just to be involved with your school and all of those fun factors that are military based that were actually not. So you kind of had the best of both worlds. So. I really started to recover there. It took me a while because I was like, okay, in the military, you you really kind of either need to do your job or shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> like, you need to figure it out, be better. <laughs> so there, it gave you a little more cushion because when you come back, you're, that transition is always like, okay, have to relearn how to talk and communicate. And I'm just burnt out. I'm frustrated. I don't even want to entertain people that just don't get it. I'm exhausted telling my story or having to explain jokes that motherfuckers that have served in the military just automatically get, you know, that, that shared bond. They didn't have that. But when I went to A&M, I actually got to see that again, which sparked some interest. But then I still didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I, I knew I wanted to serve. I knew I wanted to help those people in need for as long as I, I'm still breathing. So I went and applied for the Texas DPS um, to try to get in that academy. And then also at the same time, I got into uh, Weatherford International, which is an oil field service company. Um, great way to provide for your family, but it just, it wasn't a good fit. So took a while to get through the the evolution and processes of background checks, interviews, things like that with the DPS. It was like the next July, um, almost a year since I graduated. So, um, got in, got accepted, had a back injury, had to resign, which was frustrating and a gut check to me. Like, Oh my gosh, I've never felt like I've quit anything in my life. And here I am. I can't, I can't move forward. Why? So I was really down and out on myself. So, um, during this time, I went back to, uh, well, the oil field and absolutely hated my fucking life. I was a fat, nasty piece of shit. You know, usually (laughs) Marines, you know, they're healthy. They're somewhat in shape. And, you know, I've always been a competitive, you know, athlete, essentially. So I was like really down and out of myself. So mentally I was shit. I didn't have the tools, right? Plus I was beaten down from the military or beaten down from regret or loss or grief and just a big stockpile of bullshit that I was having to deal with and carry like a lot of other people, right? This isn't new. Like, a lot of people struggle with this stuff. But uh, to me, it was a a shock, essentially. So I traced it back. You know, I was having a hard time in the later part in my career with the Marine Corps, essentially, because there was a Marine that outranked me, and he was taking my Marines to go do his shit. And I was pretty frustrated. We had our own shit to do and I took my blouse off. I was like, what the fuck? You know, essentially, I shouldn't have done that. I know that. We all know that. But hey, <laughs> I wanted to protect my Marines. So that wasn't a good look. Usually I've, I've been okay pretty squared away and having that. So I went to my chain of command down there and they're like, bro, what's up? Probably should go get checked out. So <laughs> I took the guidance of the people I really loved and respected and I was like, yeah, you're right. I I knew better, even though I felt like I was right. The Marine Corps, there's no time for that bullshit. So right. I was in the wrong. So I, I wound up to it, went on to, uh, to see some counseling services on main side. There's a brand new, this is, this is exactly, this event is exactly why I'm doing what the fuck I'm doing today, period. So I went in there, there's a 23-year-old kid in a counseling suite just trying to do his fucking job, right? He's new, never served a day in his life. Uh, a lot of people have heard me tell the story, but it's just vivid for me every time I tell it because it's just, it's like one of those pivotal moments in my life where I made a damn decision and I stuck to my guns and had to figure it out. So went in there and I was telling my story, telling kind of what was going on, what brought me in today and all this stuff. And of course, I was already awkward. I never been in a counseling session, didn't know what to expect, didn't know what the dynamic was going to be. We're essentially about the same age and stuff and of course marines we think we fucking know everything we're fucking bulletproof and shit
0: we do too and
1: anyway hey ranger panty chill out (laughs) (laughs) you know what i'm talking about so with that being said i went in there with a chip on my shoulder i was there willing open-minded i knew i needed to change but he just rubbed me the wrong way i didn't get a good experience so he kept saying oh i understand oh understood you know and I was just like, what do you fucking understand? Like internally, I was just like, okay, bro. And I stood up in the counseling suite eventually after being tired of hearing that shit. And I knew he didn't understand what was going on. And I wanted to prove a point. I don't know what possessed me to do this, but I stood up in the counseling suite. I stared at him. I was like, what do you understand? You know, I started getting my keys and put it in my pockets and he was like, what do you mean? I was like, okay, what boot do you put your fucking dog tags in? He couldn't fucking tell me. And I was like, exactly. You don't understand. Quit telling people that you understand shit you don't understand. Right. You know, like I walked out. I was pissed. Definitely, definitely fucking like, oh, my God. Now i fucked fuck this up. Can't wait to get fucking put on fire watch for this shit, you know, like, <laughs> so I, I was, I was really hurt about that. I didn't have the tools and I knew I needed them, but I was so hurt by it. I was like, fuck this shit. Went back, did my thing, got out. And uh, didn't go back to counseling for eight years. Okay. So fast forward when I'm back in the oil field after the DPS, I'm going to resign back injury, all that stuff. So I went back to the oil field because I had good connections, went out to Midland Odessa it's good money, shitty life. Hey, it's for people. Might not be for people. It's not what I want to do with my life. Um, so I really started to educate myself on, okay, I need to really start finding out things that I really want to do. And then some shit popped off. And I was like, man, there's some dangerous shit out here. I probably need to pop smoke. I don't know how to do that. So I went to go see some buddies at Texas Tech, you know, for a football game, right? So, uh, just to kind of get a breather, get a change of pace, all this other stuff. My mom back in the day went to Texas Tech and my grandmother's brother. Like, there's some Texas Tech history there. So, I was like, okay, I want to go out there. It's in the fucking middle of nowhere and I'm kind of close to it. So, might as well go give it a shot. Plus, tailgate. I'm all about that fucking shit. So, went out there and just something came over me. I swear it's like a God thing. I went out there within 45 minutes, I had applied, been accepted and registered for my first semester uh, of courses in the clinical mental health program in the College of Education. And I've hit it so hard before that and just was toxic. I was putting things in place I had no business putting in. I was chasing money, validation, all in the wrong places um, and didn't know how to decompress. I was like, okay. I'm not into alcohol a lot, I'm not into drugs or anything like that, or gambling, but I I am probably a workaholic, I need to probably address that. So I got burned out, went there, did that. And then the educational part started. It was like, oh shit, damn, this is why I do shit. Uh, And it stemmed back from way before I even thought about going to the muck in Marine Corps. Like, PTS, a lot of people don't understand that everybody probably has it it is a natural response to a abnormal situation essentially like well, have you ever been stung by a bee have you yeah that motherfucker ain't no gang <laughs> I mean I ain't no bitch but it, it doesn't feel good right so right. you're not going to go kick around a beehive either <laughs> right <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: you know so you made an adjustment and changed your behavior so yes. moving forward I, I went through that program I started learning about hereditary traits and what the fuck that meant um like basic just knowledge of your family history will give you so much information it'll make you sick like how many divorces are there are they educated are they religious based okay let's get into medical disabilities and ailments mental health wellness all that stuff uh legal issues (laughs) so financial gain this that and the other suicidal ideations has anybody Completed suicide. You know, like you have a full picture. I'm a Marine. We eat crowns. I'm a visual learner. Deal with it. So, when I got to the point where I was learning in depth what I was doing behaviorally, because back in the day when I was lying about shit, I didn't know. I was just trying to fit in. That is the one thing you don't do to fit in. People are going to alienate you because they don't want to hear that shit. That's fake. That's some bullshit. Nobody wants to be around that. Found that out the hard way. Good good little test there. But it took me getting into the master's program and fucking sucking <laughs> up until that point to learn, hey, there's an issue here or a deficiency. It's okay. It's okay not to be okay. Here's some tools to take with you to accomplish your mission. So I really got just balls deep essentially in learning and absorbing as much information as I humanly possibly could because I had. Or, found my wife, what my mom did, um, back in the day, you know, with trying to manage three jobs and just so upbeat, positive, and serving everybody else. So selfless, my sister's the same way. So I really started tr- uh, trying to figure out what I could do to make an impact. And, um, I went through the counseling, uh, kind of program. And we have like, what's called a internship, practicum, which you really are face to face with clients essentially. So yeah. that face-to-face, you put all this knowledge, boom, now it's go time. yeah. And it was like, I was where I belonged. Like, I didn't feel like I was nervous. I didn't feel like I was anxious. I was very competent and confident in the fact that I could holistically trust my faculty and staff. They're the shit. And they always support me and work things through me. And, you know, there's not a lot of combat veterans that, one, that are male, two, that go and be a clinician, and three, that have the personality I do. I don't know if you have catched on. I'm pretty much in your fucking face. (laughs) So, not everybody's into that, but I just really found a home there, found my mission, found why I get up every day. And as long as I'm still breathing, I'm going to be still trying to keep people in the fight. So, During that practical mini internship and the transition into the doctorate phase uh, of my education, I went to Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, met up with Jacob Schick, which is our COO, or uh, CEO, as you were, um, to really discuss kind of, you know, what they do, how they do it, and how the fuck can I be a part of something like that? Because that was like where I felt like I was needed. And uh, we had a little bromance, and it's been kind of like uphill from there, and then I met our uh, COO, which is Tempa Cheryl, Um, and she had a different dynamic, which really kind of like brought a lot of perspective, and I wanted to be a part of that too, Um, and then I met the tribe, and everybody's here for the right fucking reason, so we really wanted to use what we know, our upbringing, our past, and really learn and develop into our own professional identity, as well as our personal identity, because this is a personal journey just as much as it is professionally. So, um, anyway, that's a little bit of how I got into where I'm at now. And I could not have asked for anything better. I wouldn't change a fucking thing. I mean, all those scars, late nights, burned bridges. Um, man, I'm telling you, it, it definitely helps you become the person you need to be. So, that's a little bit about me, long story longer.
0: Uh, as, yeah, I can tell, you know, when my cousin first got us talking, I liked the way that you talked. I liked the mission you talked about. You're very about helping other people. You're very uh, Absolutely, selfless. Man. So uh, that that was really cool about you. And the tribe, uh, you brought up the tribe. I actually, is that is that the podcast that, uh, i listened to because no,
1: like- no 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 that was uh that was an episode with uh well 22 kill and um blue collar adventures and the noble Bar ranch that was a very cool experience um, cool. oh my gosh and hunting like you it smoked- was something go ahead
0: you smoked that black buck at the end right. that was beautiful well
1: okay see what had happened was uh <laughs> We had tracked this freaking black buck. If nobody's seen this, we need to put the link below. I
0: will.
1: It is an incredible, incredible experience. And I hope everybody gets to really experience. So, like, the first day we, you know, kind of acclimated ourselves, sighted in our rifles. I actually utilized for the first hunt, the the whitetail deer uh, hunt that's on there, Um, from my grandfather's, I guess, legacy and gun safe. This was this rifle, a 243 Remington 700, complete setup, leather strap, old school, right? So it was 26 years old, had been fired since. I've cleaned it, maintained it. It's a safe queen. Um, It was one of his, and he died when I was nine, and I'm 36 now. So um, moving on, like, to the firing range, and we started sighting the shit in. It was dead nuts on. I didn't change that one thing. It was a little I didn't care. I wasn't changing nothing. So we got out there and we got to harvest this deer. We were in the blind and, you know, talking about stuff and really just kind of, you know, that's, that's what hunting is. It's how you forge relationships and shared experiences and get to harvest and provide, you know, those memories and meat and resources to the next generation, you know. So um, being able to do that and feel like my my grandfather's with me essentially because he was the last person to look at an animal through that optic, and you know it, it was a special moment. So you know we had David out there, we had Jay, we had a lot of people that are just beautiful souls all the way around. Uh, Jay Presty, Crystal, I mean all of these guys, Kay, Nobles, these guys are what I feel like are the epitome of selfless service. They dedicate their time, energy, resources to provide an opportunity, you know, for us to experience that. So for me, there's thinking about it gives me chills now. Thinking about all over, you know, hunting season's about to come up, uh, fishing, all that other stuff on a boat or in a deer blind. There's going to be conversations that forge relationships that are be unbroken, you know, and you can't get that anywhere else, you know. Um, even if you're not necessarily into harvesting animals or anything like that, go out there in a deer blind and sit a tent and watch nature wake up. I bet you money, you will be a lot calmer when you leave that freaking tent. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, when we got out there, we did that, had a lot of great food and Elbar Ranch. The, oh my God, it is beautiful. So we got out there and there's this black buck, right? So they were like, yeah, we can harvest this and, you know, all that stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't even know what the hell that is. You know, I'm an East Texas boy. You know, I don't necessarily what a black buck is yeah. um, to its full extent and how to even hunt one. You know, every, everything's different, you know, yeah. um, different tempo, different mindset, different movements, uh, and also how to age the deer or whatever, you know. So it was a very learning experience for me um very fruitful but we ended up i think walking over 24 miles <laughs> cracking this thing down now it definitely outthought us all day and the stamina the antelope family that you were not out running that motherfucker <laughs> i'm just saying that we were on foot so i was like oh no for most of it i was just like oh god but then when i saw it in the optic for the first time i was like oh my it is so beautiful. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever laid my eyes on. Don't tell my girl that, she's gonna be mad. But it was pretty awesome. And we're gonna to try to put it on the wall in here. We'll see how that goes. She's like, put that shit in the garage. I'm like, don't mind my business, woman." So hopefully you can edit that. So we get out there and it had started from dark all the way, I mean, we had been tracking it all day. So we went ahead and uh, we're coming in. We're about to close up shop, go eat some dinner, talk about what a failure I am. And then, um, you know, they give us a call. They gave Jay a call. They're like, bro, you're not going to believe this. It's out in the flat, 600-ish, you know, from the lodge. Get over here now. So, of course, I had my rifle, but we wanted to use this other one because it was dialed in for a little bit longer range. It was a... uh, I think it's 6.5 Cream 284. Like it's an incredible round. It was from Best of the West, Pinnacle. Oh my gosh, they have a perfect setup. And we got to shoot it um, and mess around with them the whole weekend, but it was this was a gun I never fired. So I was like, okay, cool. Let's get down there. We're doing it. And he gives me this, you know, and it's a bolt action. So it's not like you can check the magazine. You, yep, there's a round in there. Let's go. It's all I need. I'm a Marine. Whatever. Anyway, so we get down there, and we're running up. Everybody's getting to see it behind us. Me, Jay, Crystal, you know, they got their camera. He's got his optics. He's trying to range it for me. I'm like, hurry up. I'm getting excited. And we found this little bitty, like, down tree. It's like a dead, like, tree that's been rotting there for a while. So when you lean on it, you use it as a shooting platform because it needed to be elevated for that long of a distance, flat you know, ground and grass, visibility is gonna be low. It's a smaller animal. I mean, 100, 150 pounds, you know, like it's not really that big, right? So I wanted to make sure we were elevated a little bit. But when I got down there, I was in an awkward ass shooting position and it kept rocking like that. So I'm like, oh my God. And then I yelled at Jay, the host of Blue Collar Adventures. I was like, quit leaning on it. He's like, I'm trying to get down there. So, anyway, it was a really cool dynamic, and we got to see it the first round, getting ready, dialed in, ready to go, sending it down range. Boom, went a little high over the spine. So, probably at the point of impact where I wanted it, it it's probably realistically 14 inches high, ballistically, you know, but a little high. We'll go with that. Then we're trying to re engage. I knew exactly Kentucky wind eject crap. Like, I saw the point of impact came in a little closer, we ranged it at about 515, sent it, click, there was no more ammo in there, there was one bullet, (laughs) so I'm like, what the fuck, and I'm like, standing here, sitting here in an awkward position, I am damn sure not letting that thing go out of my optic, because every time we got it out of our sights, three hours later, we're still tracking that damn thing down, so I was triggered. So Jay, we were all yelling back there. They were all back at the barn and uh, lodge, And they were like kind of yelling, screaming, stuff like that. And we were like, we need bullets, you know, trying to be quiet. And he's like, screw it. So his ass runs about a thousand yards to get one bullet to come back. And I'm like, right here, give me the bullet. He's like, chill out. I'm like, no. <laughs> so he sits down, is rocking. And it gets me dialed in. And then that's on the show where where we hit it and it dropped immediately. Um, But all of that adrenaline, all of that like yelling, the shit hitting the fan, the shit going wrong. I mean, that's just like life, right? right. So right. I felt like people that have never experienced something like that need to. Because I didn't give a shit about bills. I didn't give a shit about what people were saying, didn't care about posting on social media platforms. I didn't give a shit about nothing. Those few seconds, I was truly at peace. You know, I take people out for hunting and stuff like that all the time and put them on. I get a lot of gratification. That was the first time I got to experience that essentially. So I was just like, oh my gosh, dude, that was the first time since my childhood I had truly felt at peace and why people are so addicted to hunting. <laughs> it's yeah. an expensive hobby, but whatever, it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, just so, shooting, in general, just shooting is in general is expensive. Oh, my God, yeah. that I love it. I became a firearms instructor because of that. Like, I love shooting. I love marksmanship. I love instruction. I love getting in front of people and sharing some knowledge and stuff like that. That's what I, I love about kind of what we do. At 22 kill 2, we do a lot of psychoeducation. We do a lot of debriefings. We go out in the community and really spread the word and give people some tools to think about. And that instance, when I was at peace, I, for the first time, I'm going to be selfish right now. I felt like nothing that I've ever done before that was an issue.
0: Yeah,
1: I could start fresh. I could be a new man from today. I've got to make that conscious decision to move forward and let everything behind me go. Yeah. And whenever I was downrange, it did that for me. And I was like, man, that's the first time I've been in the counseling game for a while. I've served in, man, military law enforcement experience, education, all this other stuff. There was no better feeling um, than to be able to do that and to share it with people um, that I love and care and respect. And um, man, I just hope, people can really, really dive in deep and uh, get involved with some stuff like this. You know, Regardless of your location, wherever you're at in the world, man, just do something that's gonna really develop you as an individual and to help you find peace. Um, there's no better feeling. So that's why I do what I do. So that black book kicked our ass and I cannot wait to get that little shit on the wall. To look how beautiful that is. We have the meat, we share it with our community. Um, a lot of people misinterpret why we hunt and harvest and things like that. It's not just to put stuff on the wall. Those are memory uh starters and conversations and things that you can look back on. You know, that's an investment of this trip to this, da, 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 da. but like using every part of that animal, right? Feeding families, feeding, you know, all this, and also land preservation. If things get overpopulated, there's disease, other animals suffer, they malnourishment. I mean, there's a lot that goes on to managing the animal population. And if there's not a lot of hunters, you you can't really regulate that at the rate that you're going to need to, to make sure that there's not just damaging crap go down that really makes everybody suffer, you know, and the land and all this other stuff. So overpopulation is really huge and I want people to kind of really kind of look into the history behind hunting the legacies that you leave behind the educational trait and how to actually provide for your family like as a man I didn't feel like a man until you could like go out there harvest something clean it eat it all the way from start to finish um and really kind of get that experience that really gives you an edge it makes you feel really good it makes you feel confident it makes you feel like you're giving back to the community uh, I know there's a lot of hate surrounding like hunting and fishing and things like that but man I'm telling you the benefits are huge and it will if everybody stopped hunting today everybody on the planet would be impacted yeah, yeah I mean there's hate, there's always hate everywhere there's always there's, uh, like Cat Williams said if you you don't have 18 or 19 haters, be looking for the next one or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I,
0: I agree with the overpopulation thing. I mean, deer, deer run rampant, and, and definitely hogs. Hog season is year-round. Oh, oh my God. They're a farmer's worst nightmare, a, ranch, a rancher's worst nightmare. I mean, they – Millions they, and they,
1: millions, they, and, millions every, and millions of land and property are destroyed every year. Yeah. Overpopulation. Yep. So, I mean, they're a nuisance, but at the same time, if nobody regulated that, the rate that they reproduce, you think cities aren't going to be in trouble? Think again.
0: There's ranchers paying people to come hunt hogs. You know that's. Uh,
1: if anybody's watching this, we'll come eradicate it, and we'll take some people in need to go do that. Just let me know. We'll try to make it happen. I gotta ask our legal team and stuff like that, make sure we're good. But I'm there. If y'all need some help, hit a brother up. And we'll uh, take you out there, too.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah. You brought up helicopter hog hunting. I was like, I can't think of anything cooler that I could do Man. in my life.
1: Oh, it's cool. And then we had uh, we had a Huey come out and a crew from Minnesota. These guys were incredible. Yeah. So we had um, a whole crew. They'd come out to our family's ranch in Palestine, Texas. It's called the Dead Cat Ranch. Yeah. Um, I call him Uncle Jerry, but um, he was a... I guess my first cousin, I guess, but we always call him Uncle Jerry. Um, What he is to me, I guess my grandfather was to him, and he's always kind of taken me under his wing, but he was a Marine Corps veteran. He's done really well in business and things like that, so he has this piece of land out there. that They came and stayed for several weeks, and we just had a fuel truck. Uh, They ended up getting a hangar in Palestine, and then we went around, talked to a lot of the landowners that were in need, and we got to eradicate hogs. From a helicopter, a Huey with <laughs> machine guns. <laughs> yeah. So it was something that I cannot begin to tell you how badass it is. That's really cool. But we did a lot of good there. And we got a lot of people up in the aircraft and um really got to see them kind of unwind and get scared and then excited, and then, you know, but it it was a lot of fun. So we'll have to get y'all out there. And um, I think. In that six weeks or something like that, I mean, there were like twenty eight hundred hogs harvested. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And that's just I mean, there was probably eighty thousand acres or something we, we had operational that we could fly over and stuff like that. That I mean, they were packed and man, and they're already coming back, like the same locations. I don't know.
0: Yeah. They were hiding I agree. out for a while
1: but now it's crazy
0: i can't think of anything cooler to be honest i was just yeah that's...
1: yeah it, it, it's uh definitely something cool now what was really cool um my uncle you know jerry spencer he served in vietnam Air in the marine corps right so he's got a lot of friends in the vietnam era and stuff like that so they'd come out get to see kind of some cool stuff um he'll tell you he, he didn't really do much but at the same time that's just him being old school but um it was something that when he saw that Huey come in on his property for the first time, I haven't seen his eyes light up like that almost ever. And he was calling all of his friends like, Hey bro, <laughs> I'm sure that's not what he said, but <laughs> Hey old chap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope he doesn't see this, but <laughs> it was really cool. Um, and then what was crazy. He, uh, yesterday, got a clean bill of health. He had, uh, I think, lymphoma or something like that, cancer in his throat. And he'd gone through all kinds of radiation, chemo. I mean, it kicked his ass. And he was talking to me the other day about how, like, seven of his buddies had it. And, like, he's, like, the only one that's still alive from that type of cancer or cancer in general. Um, So it was just a crazy experience to find out that he was, under, I guess the next season of his life gonna be in a lot of hardship and then to have that helicopter there, man, it was just getting a candy store. (laughs) So I was shocked at how big Hueys are. Like they are monstrous. Like I don't even, okay, you've been in Rangers and uh, what kind of platforms have y'all been in? They're, They're a little smaller, a little more maneuverable. Yeah. This is like a damn Cadillac Fleetwood. Like yeah. you're not getting in and all that stuff, but you're flying smooth Cadillac uh mm-hmm. type flight pattern like it it was so cool and it's so distinct that. Well, was
0: cool was cool as as an FO I got to work with pretty much everything. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I've seen, I've seen Huey's uh, got well, rub, it in,
1: rub it in, bro. <laughs> rub it in.
0: That just it was such a cool thing about being an FO Ranger. It was You know, in in Ranger Regiment, being an FO is a lot different because you're working up to be a JTAC. So you experience all these aircraft. We've done some work at Cherry Point with the Marine Corps uh, doing, uh, you know, call for fire and stuff like that. So it was was amazing.
1: Amazing. Heck yeah, dude. And I mean, it's those things like you'll never forget, like distinctive sounds like we had Cobras flying over. Yeah. um, Apaches. Oh, man. They were, they were a lot smaller than I thought. And then you get an Apache, you know, like the size to me is like really crazy. Like a lot of people don't understand how big those Hueys were. <laughs> and then to get to be able to shoot machine guns out of an M60, 240 saw. And we had a, uh, a guy, I probably shouldn't say that, but an 18, a Glock 18. <laughs> and he was shooting at a hog. Just to see because we were that close, but it was it was insane. So uh anyway, it it's just if you haven't done it in a while, we need to get you up there, man. We'd love to have you, dude. It's <laughs> it's a good time.
0: Oh man, a hundred percent and 110%. Yeah. For sure. But yeah. Well, I think I that's a lot. We we covered What's a up? a bunch of good stuff.
1: Uh covered right?
0: yeah. It, didn't even have to go through these bullet points. You kind of took the wheel out and, and made this go really smooth. So, um, you know, there's a couple of things you said that I really liked. Um, you talk about how some people, when they're going into the military, you know, they they're coming in maybe from some prior life experiences or something. There's something that pushes them to want to do that. Um, we would always joke about regiment as the land of broken toys as what we call it, because all these people had different stories and and uh, there's a lot of places that are are similar there's people coming from you know broken backgrounds, and then on top of that you you come in and you deal with the surreal uh pressures and experiences of the military. Some of them are very positive and life changing and then some of them are very challenging and there's people uh you you said something before about you know we'll take care of everything from the neck down not from oh yeah. you're up um and, and there's a lot of truth to that because you know, it, with mili- with military and law enforcement, uh, if you're seeking help, you're kind of admitting to being mentally unfit, and so it's very taboo to uh, go get that mental health care, but yeah. it's so important
1: though. It's a, it's a stigma, like it's a cultural thing, so I kind of break that down, like what I was saying in that uh, show uh, episode with Blue Collar uh, Adventures, like that is real, like if you have anything from here up issue-wise, you better suffer in silence, essentially. yeah. Physically, can you do your job? Yes or no. Right. And then if you can't, you'll go see Doc, get it fixed up and get you back out there. Um, and especially with special operation communities and Marine Corps, you know, different units doing different things, your capacity to endure punishment is going to be based on your mental wellness. And a lot of people think that they're gonna ruin their career if they speak up. Like for us, 22Kill, it is extremely, wholeheartedly, holistically confidential. Your chain of command can't even ask for your damn shit. They're not, like what happens in this counseling suite stays in this counseling suite. If you wanna scream, cry, sleep, (laughs) Some people have newborns out there. I feel you. (laughs) So (laughs) I want you to think about like, this is a problem. If you don't know how to address an issue internally, how can you be at your best? And if you're not at your best, how the fuck can you give your best? How can you live your highest quality of life? So before, during and after military service, you've got to compartmentalize each one of and start thinking about, hey, one, it's okay not to be okay. Two, it's a cultural thing because you had one mission. You gotta think about PTS. When you get back in the civilian world and people are dying at an extreme rate to complete suicide, it's a problem. But you gotta think about what they had to endure to get to that point. So civilian, you start here. Usually you don't have bills, depending on when you join, things like that. Different experiences. Then you get in the military, it became simple. They told you where to sleep, where to shit, where to piss, what to wear, what to bring. Like you didn't have to think about dick shit. You right. showed up, did your mission, and carried on. That's why everybody loves to go. I mean, they probably won't say it out loud, but they love to be on deployment. Yeah. It's simple. It is simple. Plus the pay's good. So yeah. when you get back, you can kind of enjoy that. So when you get back. You're not only managing your mission, work, now you've got school, now you've got family, now you've got your own personal leisure time, bills, all those other hardships that life has, other support systems you need to support, you know, to get them through their hard time, which is tasking you out when you're deployed. Send me a letter, i get it back to you in a month and a half, that's my support, you know? Yeah. So those are the types of things people forget about. Yeah. It's fucking hard. Yeah, it's fucking a transition. Yeah, recognize it. Make the adjustment to your left and right lateral limits and get back in the fucking fight. So recognizing that it's a problem and an issue, fuck culture. You got to think about what you can and can't control, right? The only thing on this planet that you can control-ish is yourself, your right. time, your effort, your energy, and your emotion, Yeah. right? Everything else, you, no control over that's perfect none you know so like don't beat yourself up your old chain of command what are they going to fucking judge you for getting help realistically if they're in that kind of mindset chances of them actually ending their life before it's even a thing probably a lot higher that's tough love but it's fucking love so being able to address issues in real time and condition yourself and force yourself to change your behavior to become the man or woman you want to be like, yeah. you served everyone else before yourself. Why can't you be a little selfish and focus on your self-care? Yeah. You earned it. Regardless of what you think or say or, oh, I didn't do shit. Oh, I I didn't serve this. I was a burden. Whatever the fuck. Get over it. Yeah. Let it go. And think of life as a Coke bottle. You shake that motherfucker. This ain't a shake weight. Sorry, guys. I know y'all gonna judge me for it. But a (laughs) Coke bottle, you shake it up, right? You try to open it and boom, it explodes, right? Yeah. So now you got a mess. You lost your resources and you're fucking pissed versus spend a little more time and learn to crack it a little bit to release some pressure, close it back up. Keep doing it till it's much more manageable. You don't lose any resources or push people away. Like it is just an adjustment. You have to be patient with the process and- for me, I damn sure didn't know that, getting out of the Marine Corps. I fucked some shit up. Like, like as far as, like, relationships, I would, I would say that I was closed off. I didn't laugh. Like, talking to me today, all that wasn't even there. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was, like, cool as a fan with everybody else, but the people that I loved and cared about the most that were in my life so much because they're in my life at a higher frequency – man, it was not. Yeah. They didn't want to be around me. And I yep. don't fucking blame them. Yep. My mom, uh, I think I was at my grandmother's house one time and I stepped on her dog or something like that. It made a loud yell, uh, yelp and stuff like that. And of course I had a flashwater in my hand. The shit scared me. I said, fuck threw the, uh, flashwater up against the brick wall. My mom looked at me and said, I'm not one of your damn Marines. Get the fuck out of here. And I was like, oh shit, I'll be outside. <laughs> yeah. So I took a three-hour walk and came back and was like, Ooh, don't want to fucking do that again. Right. So yeah, I was like, oh, well, well said. <laughs> <laughs> That's, valid. That's fair. So those moments in dating, fuck shit. I was trying to find out where my needs could be met. I know you could probably relate to that. That sucks. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, I know uh, dealing with uh, Ford Observing stuff, you're out there alone and all that how did you transition back here?
0: well, in Ranger regiment, it's a little different, so uh the way I won't say too much uh, opsste I don't know if it's even opsec, but you know I'm hanging out next to the ground force commander, so um basically I'm like his right hand man, so we're I'm with the maneuver element, and so right. uh, the dynamics a little different for us, but yeah, I mean definitely uh you know, I want to highlight something you said earlier and, and address your question at the same time. Uh, there was definitely some very uncomfortable situations sometimes where I sat there and I thought, you know, this is going to be my last day on this earth. There's a good chance. And then, you know, you think about maybe leading up to that, you're thinking about, you know, what, like I would think about what my brother's doing back home. I was in college probably uh, partying and going to sleep in a warm bed tonight, all these things, you know, you're like, what am I doing? This is, this is fucking nuts, you know? And, uh, and so there was definitely uh, some times like that. And then the, you know, I hear people after I got out, uh, I did, I I struggled with my transition. At at first, it seemed like I was doing very well. And uh, I won't make this podcast about me, but I hit rock bottom mentally before I addressed that there was even an issue. Because like you said, I, I thought, You know, if I if something's wrong with me, I'm a bitch. There's there's guys who have done way more than me. If if I'm going and getting help, it's because I'm weak. And so I never I never saw it as I had a problem. I never wanted to admit I had a problem. And I just I went all the way to the bottom, crashed and burned, and then realized I'm kind of fucked up. And then I started talking to somebody. And the power of just talking to somebody was incredible. Um absolutely. And in my counselor, I'll share a little bit about him. He 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 didn't serve but he lost his his wife to cancer, had been through like some very hard stuff. So the way he related to me was was uh different but it it worked. So just I mean there's so that's why I like what you're doing though because you can really relate to people and you're very personable. You're somebody that is enjoyable to talk to, and you understand because you've been through a lot yourself. So, it, it you know uh, something. I'll tell you one more thing. You know, uh, there's a guy, a friend of mine. He he was having a bad time one night. I he, I could see it in his text, and I'm leaving this on kind of a uh, limited detail because I want to protect his identity and his story and stuff but long story short I could tell something was wrong and I drove over to his house and uh, basically he told me we just talked I mean he was in a bad way I mean he was he was down on the ground basically in a fetal position just uh sobbing and kind of we just started talking and just him knowing somebody cared was was a big thing I mean he kind of uh i think that was his rock bottom he identified he had a problem and started working on it but if i didn't show up that night he might he would have been part of this statistic most likely and that's all it takes is just reaching out to somebody who gets it somebody who wants to understand knowing that people love you you know uh there's people out there that want to take care of you and that can relate to you is so uh so important so yeah, the transition it it wasn't uh necessarily smooth for me i think i've done better than some others, but uh, myself, I've hit some I, I hit some low points.
1: You know, and at the end of the day, when I talk about kind of hardship and kind of the things we can control, right? Yeah Your time, okay, that is the most valuable asset you possibly possess, essentially. I know there's probably some people that break the mold on this, but you don't see too many absolute champions in bodybuilding. Become doctors, yeah, and vice versa. It's all about your time and what you spend on it, trying to master your craft. So internally, I had to learn how to put forth that effort and energy and time into myself, because I wouldn't be worth the shit as a clinician if I didn't put in the work. So for time, like I think about, like when people are having a hard time, and I hope everybody that's listening to this understands this and really let us this sink in every second, every minute, every hour day that you spend on thinking negative thoughts or cognitions, things that are not going to promote you or your quality of life or those individuals around you. Um, all of that added time that you're spending on hindering your ability to grow is actually taking away from everybody else experiencing and absorbing your greatness. Yeah. So every time I get the fuck up, my feet hit the deck, I'm ready to go. How can I better serve my myself, my family, my community? Is there a person out there that might hear me make a snarky ass funny comment that might actually make them laugh, that could show them joy, that motivates them? A hug, a smile, a conversation, all of these things, right? So if you're having a hard time, Think of your time. Think of all the time that you could be spending living your best life possible and letting all of that stuff that you've ever endured in the past go. Because at least if you're in the dark, you've already gone through all of those experiences and you've already come out on the other side. Those obstacles are still in the closet, right? So whenever you're trying to come out of it in the dark, if you keep going back, you're going to fall the fuck down every time. And be worse off than just moving forward, right? So instead of falling and failing and all that stuff mentally backwards, keep it moving forward. At least if you fall, you know what the fuck you're going to hit. Yeah. So focus on what you spend your time, effort, energy, and emotion on. Everything else is taken away Mm -hmm. from your greatness, your legacy that you leave behind. You know, we always talk about own the dash. That's exactly what I'm talking about. There's two dates on your tombstone that really don't mean shit other than the arrow in which you were breathing. Right. But that legacy that you leave behind is that dash in between it. Make that motherfucker count. Instead of all these pushing off these hardships or have the tools or resources or support system to get over it, they can, you know, complete suicide or do something like that. They're just passing the torch and pain and suffering onto the ones that they love and care about the ones that they're saving themselves from. Right. You've got to focus on how to better yourself and your station and everyone those around you. Like I have a saying, like I I have to tell myself every day, we all have bad days. Right? So if I can do a few things every day. So when I look myself in the mirror at night, I know I can lay my head down and rest. If I've done everything, in my absolute power to be a better version of myself than I was the day before, and left this earth a little bit better conditioned than when I found it. I've done my fucking work. Right. Regardless of what it is. It could be cleaning shitters. It could be making food for somebody and giving it to them, hunting, counseling, podcast. You don't know the vast man impact you're gonna have, man. There's a lot of people that didn't even know I was counseling but still call me up and talk about it. Like, for instance, I asked you one question, and guess what I learned about you? Shit that we can relate to and be common ground with. We had some similarities there, right? Right. If you don't recognize that, and I'm talking to all the people that are gonna listen to this, if you don't recognize that and you suppress yourself, you're suppressing your greatness, your information, your experience, your ability to help save lives. Because you are a testament of what hardship is and how to get over it. Yeah, you're still breathing, you're still in the fight. So keep it moving, man.
0: Right. I, I really like how you talk about control what you can control. Um, I think <laughs> that was you know something I struggled with was the the need to control everything that was happening. And that control that need to control things that you can't control uh, was destroying me. So, you know, I think that's very important. Uh, A lot of people I think also kind of take things that haven't happened yet. And it's, it's in the future, you know, they're thinking about things that haven't happened yet. They're trying to control an outcome and there's things that we can do to prepare, but You know, what I'm talking about is that obsession over what hasn't happened yet, trying to control something that's going to happen. And it's always a negative picture or thinking about something that did happen. And there's so many good things back here. But, you know, typically we tend to look at the bad things and go, I could have did this better. And we just fixate in these two areas and can't really center ourselves into where we are right now, what we can control uh, to help ourselves moving forward. So that's that's kind of what I learned through my own experience something that I try to implement now
1: right and I mean it the first step is is the recognition hey you know it's okay not to be okay it's okay to make adjustments it's okay to try things new step out, out of your comfort zone if you think about it like this the only options that are always there and available when you fail is failure and negativity
0: yeah
1: it's always an option i don't give a shit if you're making a sandwich or saving someone's life that option is always there and if you don't have the discipline and wherewithal and the want to make the right decision to not just go into conformity and really just stay negative you're going to stay there unless you make that decision to get out of it and um, it's uncomfortable a lot of people don't like heights and things like that. It's uncomfortable, but now they're skydiving. They took that risk because they didn't know that something was better on the other side. They just think, this is what it is. It's a learned behavior. If it's not a disability or an ailment or something like that, it's, it's, it's definitely a learned behavior. So you are a product of your environment. If you don't like the man or woman you're looking at in the fucking mirror, change it.
0: Right.
1: You're still breathing, you're still in the fight figure out what your why is, you know, uh, Eric Thomas always talks about, you know, figure out what your why is, you know, you want to be su- so successful. You got to want it more than you want to breathe. Right. Right. That That's accurate. You've got to love yourself so much. You will sacrifice what you need to, to be a better version of yourself and leave the legacy you want to leave behind. Exactly. Self-care exactly. isn't selfish, you know? So, um, a lot of people, including myself really, had to learn that the hard way. And um, I, I'm telling you, once you get to the point to where you stop worrying about what everybody else is doing and focusing on your craft, man, it, there's no limits. And same thing with career development. Okay, there's Mark Twain, my favorite freaking quote, is uh, two most important days of any man's life. And then a good buddy of mine, Joey Jones, a lot of people know him, uh, EOD Marine, amputee, uh, double amputee. And a guy, you know, one of his famous quotes is, you know, how can you be so positive with no legs? And he said, how can you be so negative when you still have yours, essentially? So (laughs) those two statements, I really resonate well with every day because I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to build up my legacy that I want to leave behind. Not for me. I want that generational wealth for everybody else. So publications, education, sacrifice, family, friends, communication, um, to really leave here. Uh and I want people to learn from my mistakes too. You know, I want people to understand that, hey, you fuck up, cool, own it, move on, you know, like we've all done it. We're all human. At the end of the day, we're or are born to fuck up, yep. but learn how to grow from a shitty situation.
0: Yeah. Don't linger on it. Yeah. It's all a journey for all of us. We're all learning in our own way. Uh, the only way is forward. If you linger on those mistakes, you're just going to stay there. Um, and, and I like that you said, you know, comparing to others. We do that because that is, that is the nature of the world. We're competitive and What we tend to do is compare our worst days to somebody else's highlight reel. You don't see what those other guys are going through.
1: Right. So, And that really, I mean, resonates well with me in the first responder community because they're tackling four or five different lives. And then they're still, like for fire, they're all about staying in one location, right? Their station, whatever that is, they operate, go on calls, whatever. So they're with each other all the time. So they have the military and the civilian first responder sectors of it too. So whenever you're there and you're comparing, you're competing, you're always thinking about this, that and the other instead of building together. And usually when you're trying to develop a career, people are gonna step on toes and get butter. I know everybody in the military that ever served in the enlisted Corps, especially that Lance Corporal in the Marine Corps, that E3 gets promoted to E4, what the fuck happens? Power change. trip.
0: Yeah, change. I'm yeah. Promoted.
1: Yeah. So they're competitive always. Now that's good in a healthy with a healthy mindset. Right. You know, knowing yes. that, okay, just like mental health to me is just like your physical wellness. I know you're big into fitness, right? So when it going to failure, right? Is essentially the same as working out a muscle to failure and working your mental capacity and challenging it to failure where you make mistakes so you can learn from it and grow. That's where growth happens. Failure. Be okay with fucking sucking. You know, you're not gonna be an expert tomorrow. What makes special operators so fucking special besides good hair and silky? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? They're masters of the fucking basics. Right. You don't have to be fucking damn Houdini and shit right. to try to escape your past. Work through it, learn from it, and welcome fucking failure. Fail often, fail sooner than later yeah. <laughs> because that gives you an opportunity to challenge yourself physically and mentally. That's just going to prepare you for something worse coming up that you may have to deal with. And it's all about giving yourself the tools and resources to fucking fix and find a solution to a problem and you can take it with you. Now, tools are just like they are in your garage as it is up here. Sometimes we lend out our tools. Sometimes we don't get them back. So we get hurt relationship. You deal with loss and grief. You don't get closure, right? So then you feel like, okay, I give this person this. You don't get it back in the same condition than you gave it. You know, that's real. And then Sometimes they give it to you back in the same condition. That's how you identify who's long term and who's short term and who's seasonal and who's not. And that toxicity that comes with toxic people on their own agenda competing for your time, energy, and effort is taken away from your end game and your legacy. So don't be able not to recognize a thief when you see one. Right. Because that is your most valuable asset. Just think about it. If you spent one day, thinking about bullshit or an X or uh, I should have, would have, could have. I should have been faster here. It's my fault here. Um, like for me, um, a, a good buddy of mine, one of my gunners, I was driving. I'm not going to tell his name, but everybody who's going to see this is going to know his name that served with me. He's awesome dude squared away. Uh, but there was a day October 30th where every year I think about it And it was because I was his driver and we hit an IED and I'm just glad he's still here. So every like purple heart day, I'm like, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) So that's, (laughs) we had this little running joke going and stuff like that, you know. Um, But every day, I think if I would have slowed down and took this or that way or whatever million things that I wouldn't have had him suffer. Or we be injured that. or anything like that, you know, that could prevent him from having a higher quality of life. And I thought about that every day. And um, that shit I couldn't control.
0: Yeah, we all know? do that. And especially when people, I mean, if people die, then you're really going, I could have did something. Yeah. And, and everybody does that.
1: But when you think about it, those are the types of things that make us all better, really. Right? Yeah. like. When you find a way to clean your rifle faster so the gunsmith doesn't go away, go away, go away, you like think you hit the lottery, right? (laughs) Or
0: finding an easier way
1: to do something um, and to make your life a lot easier. And you spend a lot less time on mastering your craft, just like Henry Ford making that conveyor belt stuff and made everything, the process is a lot more structured, faster, all that. You got to think about your mental health and physical well too. Like, yeah. find a way to make it more efficient so you're not using your time. So I like to use time as a uh, as a motivator. So like think about if you spent 1 hour a day doing something other than thinking negative thoughts or something else you dedicate to something that's going to benefit you, right? Then you do that every day for a year. That's 365 hours of mastering something and investing in something. That's just one hour. Get up early. You know what I'm saying? Go to bed later. You can do that. You can learn a language. I'm the doctorate level and I haven't spent 365 hours in a year learning shit. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just get that out there. You know what I mean? So that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time to invest and that's just one hour of adjustment. Yeah. So, those are those little bitty things that if you think about make a lot of sense, but having the courage and the ability to recognize it before it's too late is another thing. So making sure that you have a right, I guess, support system and network to help keep you motivated, but also you got to figure out how to motivate yourself. Like for me, when I was in the old field, I was a fat, nasty, freaking butterbean. like real talk went to gas station to gas station where we went on site And I'll never forget, like, being in a onesie, the fire retardant FR suits. I was not cute, okay? So I got really down on myself, and I was like, shit, if I could date right now, I wouldn't date right now. I'm saving her a nightmare happening. (laughs) Like, it wasn't good. You know, I didn't want to get to the point where I had to, well, use a mirror to see my man stuff. You know, like, I wanted to focus on my health. I know this can't be healthy, and I made an adjustment. I'm still not where I want to be, but... When you spend more time on the things that are going to give you energy, stamina, resilience, you got to think about all of the dimensions of wellness that are going to put you where you need to be, and and you got to identify hey where there's a deficiency and make adjustment. So, um, that's, a, that's my story and I'm sticking to it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's esteem, and and esteem means different things to different people. There's different things that people hold high in stock. Of I want to be good at this, I want to be good at that. And if they get stuck in a routine that doesn't fit that thing, that they can build their self esteem off of, I mean, that's so important. Uh I'm probably gonna butcher this because I'm not uh as educated as you on on this subject, but what's a, uh, do you know uh are you familiar with I think it's Maslow's hierarchy? Hierarchy of,
1: needs.
0: Yeah. I really like that model. I it's heard that. <laughs> it's a really good model. And one of the oh, yeah. one of the Checkpoints, I've seen it like in myself, you know, uh, but one of the checkpoints it hits is self-esteem and it talks about, you know, uh, that being important on that hierarchy. So, oh,
1: yeah,
0: esteem is how, you know, how you want others to see you and how you see yourself. Those are two different factors in, in esteem. And I think becoming good at the things that you deem important in your life is very important and just an hour to do it, you know. So, right. Uh, so
1: everybody start doing push-ups <laughs> like for me the, the hierarchy needs to you, you can't negate the fact that you have to understand the ins and outs of what your needs are right first baseline you know you have all of your <clears throat> basic needs such as food water shelter protection intimacy all that stuff and then you build on top of that all the way up to self-actualization now it's a good model It is a very, very flexible model, model. but it's something that if you really kind of break down, it's a no brainer. Like, Hey, I am not working out my body where I need to be to have in my life. So how can I protect myself if I can't? walk outside without huffing and puffing. Right. I mean, that's a shitty example, but that's the one I'm going with. So things like that, recognizing kind of those deficiencies and where you could put in place some things to really help accommodate how to build on top of that foundation, you know, and things that are taking you away from providing, okay, food, water, shelter, okay? Gotta have a career. You gotta have something you're spending your time on that provides a resource for you to obtain this, right? Intimacy comes with that, all that stuff. So at what point do you not get overwhelmed? Most people can't answer that because there's a lot to think about, a lot of pressure. If you want to hit small, shoot small. Make sure that you stay compartmentalized. Figure out what part of the day you're at your best. Okay. So you can put your biggest priorities in that duration of time because you will spend less time overall on taking out tasks throughout the day. Put the less important tasks, maybe the ones that you might not have to do when you're not at your best and really figure out like I'm a morning person, right? After chow, I'm like, oh, God, I'm sluggish, depending on what I put in my body, right? Right. So I'm probably not going to put a whole lot right there. But after that, at the end of the day, I kick back up. So both ends of the spectrum, I'm at my best. So that's when I start really putting my task in hand. That right there, just that one thought of understanding when you're at your best throughout your time or with your time. It'll change your life almost overnight. And then you got to think about sleep hygiene, what that looks like, how to prepare to so, sleep. Yeah. Stop looking at technology. I am the world's worst at that. You know, make sure that you have a climate that's cooler. Drops your body temp, right? Make sure that your room's organized to your comfort. Uh, cleanliness and your master bedroom or bathroom or whatever, or wherever you're at, even if you don't have a home. Make sure when you go to sleep, you feel comfortable. And at peace, essentially, so you can get that deeper REM sleep, because that'll give you the energy and the fuel to carry out the next day. And yeah. it's crucial what you're eating, what you're doing actively, what you're doing for yourself mentally. All of these play a huge factor in your overall quality of life. So whenever you start to really just beat the shit out of yourself and get stuck on some shit, like this is my fault, I could have done more. And you're worried about that time and that experience. You're not dedicating what you need to, to put things in place so you can get to where you want to go. Yeah. So that, that was brilliant. I love the um, hierarchy needs stuff. I think that's, that's such a big pillar. A lot of people forget to build on it. So, but <clears throat> yeah.
0: Yeah. We hit a bunch of good things today. And, and one thing that I meant to say earlier, and I wanted to say again, cause you brought it up Um, you talked about how there's service members out there that don't feel like they did enough or they right. don't, they don't feel like, you know, like they experienced the experience that they wanted to happen. Um, to those people, you know, uh, I would say stop beating yourself up. You did a, you did a great, amazing thing. You served your country. And, uh, and you know, if, if you're really feeling that way, reach out to somebody. I mean, uh, you got Blake here with 22 kill and, uh, Absolutely. I'll point you in that direction, but you, you matter, your service mattered and and uh you know people need to stop doing that you know we we're competitive and and fun and stuff like
1: that, but you know if you played a part you're you're part of my team right, and you know a lot of people get bent up on this premise of well oh, my my spouse or family will never understand or I won't do this. So you're not really connecting with them, but you also try to find friends and you can't really connect to them. You feel isolated and alone. I want you to understand that's normal. That's okay, but recognize it, make an adjustment, right? So our families and friends and communities are the reasons we put on the uniform in the fucking first place. Right? Yeah. They're sacrificing and suffering too. Whenever they see everybody come home, and they're different they're changed they have to learn that it's it's going to be a transition be patient and reestablish your roles boundaries and expectations moving forward yeah what that looks like who's going to watch the babies who's going to do the dishes who's going to pay the bills who's going to do xyz if you're alone you got to figure out what your next steps are and how to accommodate somebody else in your life because effective communication will eliminate a lot of different problems as far as mental health and you know like if you have a shitty communication such as you're trying to explain stuff you get frustrated because you're trying to explain things in depth and they're just not getting it so you stop right so you just literally took away a resource you literally shortened your network by doing that yeah so communication is not just what you say it's how you say it like body language, are you fucking approachable? You look like you're a dick. <laughs> like, you're not approachable. Yeah. Change it. <laughs> I had to learn that too because I was pushing everybody away. But I was like, "What's up?" Yeah. And they were like, "Bye, Felicia." So yeah. when like, things like that, with go ahead. <laughs> sorry, sorry, no, it's
0: just a, it's a good point because uh, that's something I learned too. Was if you if you are transmitting negativity the only response you're ever going to feel is negative because people are responding to you and how you are uh, appearing. There's a reason why, why, you know, you probably smile now. And I smile all the time. I used to not smile either. Now I just smile Mm -hmm. randomly at people and the positive response is a lot different. And I realized like, Oh, not everybody's an asshole. Like maybe it was me being the accidentally asshole,
1: you know? Yeah. So like for me, uh, I'll, I'll, kind of touch base with that communication part because my mom and uh my lady my significant had a conversation about you know how's Blake laughing now is he laughing anymore how was that and my girlfriend or lady or whatever is like yeah he laughs hard all the time he won't shut up and my mom didn't see that because of the dynamic right like so what she remembers of my upbringing and how she kind of rates my mental wellness is am I laughing. Am I engaging? Am I isolating myself? Or am I doing da-da-da-da? so it was really cool to get them to kind of connect. But the biggest thing on community that most people probably don't know is it's not just what you say, it's how you say it, but it's also learning how your audience listens, especially when you're in a relationship. You need to understand that up here intellectually, you already know what you're trying to say. Like, it's a no brainer. But your delivery and the way that they respond is going to determine how that conversation goes. Right. So you have to learn how to be tactful again. You have to learn how to be open minded. Not everybody comes from the same background, culture, bias, all that other stuff. You've got to figure out hey, here's the message I'm trying to kind of accomplish in what venue. And in what setting do I need to go ahead and say it this way versus this way? For us, combat zone or whatever, mission accomplishment, troop welfare. Fuck your feelings. You know, here, we got to bring that back. And they're like, well, that's rude. You know, like that's (laughs) a good thing to say. And I know everybody out there has probably done it at least once. Yeah. This week. (laughs) (laughs) it's, It's a, it's a, deterrent essentially to build relationships you're you're reinforcing a certain type of behavior and expectation so a lot of people are like ah, I'm probably not going to do that I'm probably going to disengage and I'll be back over here and a lot of times that isolation is the worst thing that veterans first responders could possibly have huge we need that support even if we're a dick we just need a a reminder and a platform to learn and grow again yeah so I encourage all the family members to not give up, uh, to not quit. They're just trying to find their way. They're trying to do everything in their power to use what they have to have a higher quality of life. And by default, by not having those tools, could really damage relationships and really set forth some behaviors that are not ideal. So with that being said, you got those family members, yeah, you're not supposed to take all the, the shock. However, if you're a veteran first responder, do your due diligence. Reach out when you need to fucking reach out and talk about this shit. Get those tools to be successful. If it's not for you, do it for them. Do it for your legacy. It's okay to be uncomfortable. You've been there before.
0: Right.
1: You've been in pain. You've been there before. At least get a reward from it. So move forward with that. Make sure that you're doing everything you can when you look in the mirror at night you can ask yourself those questions and you could be rest assured that you did everything in your power to live the best life possible you could that day. Well, thank you again for having us. Yeah.
0: Thank you, thank, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you know, I, I know you're very busy and stuff like that, so you coming on is huge and I'm very grateful to have you on with your knowledge and expertise. Uh,
1: Thanks for having me. Yes, Anytime sir. I'm here. You yes, reach out.
0: We'll do. All right, Blake, I'm going to end my podcast here. Uh, If you guys have been listening this long, you are awesome. Hope you have a great day and take care.